0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Monsieur Day. It's uh, great to be with you today virtually. I pray that this service has blessed you so far. I'm going to speak on our final week of the fruit of the Spirit on faithfulness and goodness. And I'll be honest, I'm pretty much just going to talk about faithfulness. Maybe there'll be some goodness thrown in uh, here and there, but it's just too big and important of a topic, I think, to to um, to miss. And so I wanted to start by sharing about this book uh, by Dr. Seuss, Horton Hatches the Egg. Uh, Most of you have probably read a Dr. Seuss book before. A lot of them are really amazing. But in this particular book, if you haven't read it, is one about Horton the elephant, who is tricked into sitting on a bird's egg while its mother, Maisie, takes a permanent vacation to Palm Beach. I've been there, Maisie, Like needing that permanent vacation. Um, Horton endures a number of hardships, but persists often stating this line over and over again in the book that rings true for what we're speaking of today. He says this, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. And when I think about faithfulness, I'm really drawn to the idea. We all love people that have persisted people that have had strong convictions that people that 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 trust through difficult and hard and long times of of difficulty and challenges in their lives and so um i when i look into this idea of faithfulness and what it means in the scriptures those words ring true as well it's the idea of being full of faith full of conviction that no matter what you face in your life that you will continue to believe God and trust God and persist trust and conviction. I think of my daughter, Senny. Uh, she is, uh, striving to be a gymnast all of a sudden and she has been practicing her cartwheels and three months ago she couldn't do a cartwheel. Now she can do one that's pretty special. So even when we're in stores now she will go up and down the aisles, uh, cartwheel after cartwheel after cartwheel in this past couple weeks her she's been dead set on learning how to do a back handspring now i know nothing about gymnastics and how to teach that but as her dad i'm trying to help her as best i can so we'll get down uh, in in our living room and she'll stand back and her way of practicing this she thinks that this is going to help her get it is to fling herself backwards with her hands back And my job is to catch her and flip her over. Because if I don't, then she'll land directly on her head. There'll be tears. Uh, But she does this with such aggression, with such trust that I will catch her every time. It's this beautiful picture of what it means to trust somebody and also have this conviction that you're going to learn how to do something. There are a a ton of examples of trust and conviction in the Bible. You can think of so many of the Old Testament saints, men and women who followed God no matter the cost. One of my favorite stories is that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. I love this image of these men who had been taken from their land uh, as exiles, had been placed into uh, the front and center in the kingdom of Babylon, and having to work out their faith in the midst of like a foreign rulership that did not believe in their God, did not take them seriously. And King Nebuchadnezzar at one point in this book decides that he's going to build this massive statue and require that every person in the kingdom bow down to it and worship it as proof of their allegiance to him. It sounds a bit ridiculous. I mean, to be honest with you, none of us would probably spend our times bowing down to a graven image of any sort. It just isn't something that our context and our culture does very often today. But in that time, and in that time of history, this was a regular occurrence. And what is really doing is he's trying to determine, he's trying to uh, show the people in the land that he's in charge and that he demands their complete allegiance. He demands their... Um, That they are on his side. And if we really are honest, because it can seem so distant from us, don't most of our leaders, our politicians, the people that we follow, kind of demand the same type of allegiance? Now, maybe they can't ask you to bow down and worship them, but they certainly can say, no matter what I do, you just need to kind of follow blindly. You need to agree. You need to support. You need to defend, uh, even if I do something that, that you don't like. And um, in this context, the consequences of not bowing down are really serious. They're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace where they will certainly die. The consequences were great. And so everyone would just do it, whether they really believed or whether they wanted to worship this, this image or this, this um, idol, they, they did it anyways. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided that they would not. That even though they were in a foreign land, now think of the pressure. There, there no one would know in Israel that they bowed down. No one would know that this was like, well, we can, you know, cross our fingers as we're doing it, or we can we can bow down and not really worship. We can say we're aligned with King Nebuchadnezzar, but but really subvert him and, and not really be behind him. But they thought, no, that like in our reality, bowing down to this image, giving our allegiance to this image. Uh, the, the, this, this idol would be a, a complete rejection of the one true God. And so they have this conviction that even though no one else would know, even though they could probably get away with it, God would know. And so there's very little debate in the text. There's really no discussion. They just say to the king, the most powerful king in, in all the world really at that time, we will not do it. I love that. I mean, don't you? Oh, I wish we had some people at Missio Day that had that type of conviction. Like, I will not compromise on my convictions about Jesus. I will not worship or give allegiance to anyone or anything except the one true God. I love this attitude that God will bring us out of the fire uh, and, and save us, Or, even, but even if we die in there, we will not bow down to you. We will not give our allegiance to your image. This is very different than how we operate today. I think when we think about God. We want to put God on kind of this, uh, on the witness stand. And we say, God, if you uh, don't do it this way, or if you don't do it the way that I want you to do it, then I'm no longer going to be aligned with you. I'm going to leave the church. I'm going to quit this whole thing, God, because I, essentially you're saying, I know better than you, God. But God is looking for people. And we see in the scriptures, he's looking for people that will say, I will take your deliverance, and I will take your way any way that you give it. Maybe I'm going to have to die in the fiery furnace, but I choose to stand with you. And so God is maybe asking us today is, are we willing to say, I may not get that promotion or I may not get that healing in the way that I want it to, but I still love you, God. And I still trust you. And I'm still convicted and convinced of your way. And I will persist. We don't live in the context of a world like Daniel or in the passage that was read previously about the apostle Paul in Acts. Christianity in our context, in our time has long, you've long been allowed to be very mushy. What I mean by mushy is that you could be pretty vague about your faith. Uh, You could be religious, but be really non-combative about it or really non-aggressive about it in any way. You could kind of go to church, and that's all that's really expected of you. Maybe you'd give a little bit of your time, you give a little bit of your money, but essentially you can just participate as this cultural norm that's part of our reality. And I'll be honest with you that, that that sort of thing drove me, drives me crazy to this day and drove me crazy even at a young age. I knew when I was a teenager that I either needed to say, like, I want nothing to do with this, I'm out, I'm going to live the way that I want to live, or I am all in. Like, Jesus needs to be very central, the very center of my life. Jesus speaks about this too, like, I, hot or cold, but lukewarm, drives me crazy, want nothing to do with that. There is no point in a cultural Christianity. It it must die. And I think times are changing. Culture is getting a bit more crunchy. We are experiencing a polarization. And I think that our convictions and trust are going to be put to the test. Our faithfulness is going to be put to the test in our time. Faith is not just... Uh, made fun of or dismissed as farcical anymore, but it's now considered by some people uh, as dangerous. And I think that that's going to become more of the norm. So we come to this passage today in Acts in the apostle Paul, and he's facing a, a situation where his faith in Jesus Christ uh, is dangerous. It's dangerous to him. It's dangerous to other believers in that period. And Paul is leaving Ephesus, which he had spent a considerable amount of time uh, at, and now is, is convinced that he needs to go to Jerusalem. And he speaks about faithfulness in Acts 20, and he makes uh, four points in all. The first one, it says is, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit. Or in the NIV, it says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem I love that image. The image of faithfulness is like, the point I wanna make is faithfulness happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're bound, when we're compelled by the Holy Spirit, when we're held by the Holy Spirit. That's when our conviction, that's when our faithfulness, that's when all of the fruit of the Spirit will become a reality in our lives, That, that, that the Holy Spirit will take over more and more of our hearts. The Spirit brings about passion. God will become our passion. And really what it means is that we are called to, in order for the spirit to fill our lives, the scriptures make it clear, it's all about abiding in Jesus. When we abide in Jesus, we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness is directly tied with being filled. It is the fruit of the spirit. So if you want to be faithful, if you want to be to show the evidence of this fruit of the spirit of faithfulness, you must pursue Jesus with all that you have and you will be filled. Second thing he says is also in verse 22. It says that faithfulness brings freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from having to know what the future will bring. It means that you can be content not knowing what's ahead of you. Isn't that, a, a, it, I think if we think about that a little bit more, it's actually pretty incredible. It's actually going to be very freeing for us to know that um, We don't have to know what's gonna come and we can still step into that reality of what God calls us to. It means that success in human ventures is not a measure of God in your life. What God is requiring of you is that each day you live faithful to him, that you walk in his way. And that is a freeing thing, that we don't have to be successful. We don't have anything to prove to others. I don't have to have a certain type of income or status or significance or power. Being in the will of God is is simply being obedient to Jesus and success is doing the will of God. It means that in the small things, the interactions with your neighbors or with your kids or your coworkers, it's the the small times of prayer in your car on the train or walking the street. That's what it means to be faithful to God in the midst of every single day, not knowing what's going to happen. The third thing, these sort of build on each other. One is being filled by the Spirit. Second is being free to not know everything that's in the future. And the third thing he says is that, okay, I, I don't have to know the future, but in this situation, I actually do know what's going to happen to me. And it seems pretty clear the Holy Spirit says that I'm walking into a situation in Jerusalem where I am going to face hardships. So faithfulness means that you do not abandon Christ when difficulties come, when affliction comes. Verse 23 says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. This is a big one. Tomorrow, very well, may be hard. It may be hard for us. Paul knows that imprisonment and afflictions await him. This is the cost of following Jesus in Paul's mind. You can be content without knowing about tomorrow, but you also can be content with the assurance that tomorrow is going to be hard. So why is Paul making this point? He's trying to teach the people that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't know or it doesn't matter if you do know. It doesn't matter if you're walking into uh, the unknown or you're walking into hardship. He is going to move forward regardless and that there will be hardship and there will be trouble and that there will be tribulations. And this is the key point, is that Jesus is worth more than those difficulties and trials. This is real courage. This is real faithfulness. It's one thing not to know the outcome, but it's another to take action when you know it's going to be hard, when it's gonna demand you your safety, when it's gonna demand you, um, it's gonna cost you something and still trust God. God. I think that this is the thing in our cultural moment that's, that's really difficult. It's because most of us, and, and me included in this, is that we often only follow Jesus when things are favorable. And it's unsurprising that certain people fall away because there are, is coming a time where it's not as favorable to be a Christian. And so all the people that kind of weren't really alive in Jesus are stepping aside and saying, I don't really know I want, if I want to be part of that anymore. And Paul is walking to a situation where his belief, his encounter with Jesus Christ is leading to him being falsely accused about his beliefs in the law of God. He's being persecuted because because people don't like his claims about how Jesus is Lord. And Paul could have backed down He could have got out of these situations. He could have avoided imprisonment. He could have avoided hardship. He could have avoided his eventual death. He could have said, well, Jesus had some good teaching and that's all that really matters. That's all I'm really trying to say. But no, Paul goes on to say, Jesus appeared to me. I was just like you. I was persecuting Christians. I disagreed with everything that Jesus stood for, but I had an encounter with the living God and Jesus Christ, and he showed me It appeared to me that he is the truth, that he died on the cross for my sin, that he is king, that he is the Messiah, that he is Lord, that he raised from the dead, and that he deserves all of our allegiance and all of our devotion. I think for many of us, often our response, if we were to know that hardships were coming, if we were gonna go in a certain direction, we would just not go in that direction, right? We would just avoid it in general. We might even use phrases that are cloaked in, in language of God. Like we say, well, certainly God wouldn't want me to go through that in, our, in my life. He wouldn't want me to go through those hardships. He would want me to be safe because he loves me. And I just don't think that that really aligns with what Paul's saying here and many of the other apostles make of the point of the New Testament or other saints in the Old. And the second thing that we may do, and this is maybe a more common response to us, is when we're going to, it's a more subtle um, way of showing faithlessness. And that is kind of giving away our functional trust of God to something else. So now when we face tough times or we experience something like a, a pandemic uh, or, or other difficulties in our lives, we don't necessarily like denounce our faith. It's more subtle than that. It's just giving our allegiance to other things. So instead of running to God in our difficulties and our pain and showing our faithfulness to God that we trust him in those hardships and those times, we instead might binge watch TV when we are depressed or Show that we'll stop giving generously to others because we aren't living in abundance anymore. And it's these subtle shifts that show where our hearts are really at. Even though those idols prove that they can't deliver at some point, we have shown that they are what we trust in truly instead of the God of the universe. I think there needs to be a way for us to know, are, are we struggling with faithfulness? Like, is this something that's difficult in our lives? And so I've I've said this in Uptown before, like I've used this question and so there, there might be a little redundance there for them, but I, I wanna share it again today because I think it's a really important question and it's one that helps us see where our allegiance really is. And that is this, we can ask ourselves this question to know if our, our, we are being faithful or beginning to compromise. Do I believe anything about God that I don't want to believe? I think that's a really important question. Do you believe anything about God just because it says so in the Scriptures? If you don't, or have a hard time holding something um, like that, then 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 you are like you don't have a hard time holding something like that. Then you, what you're essentially saying is that my belief system, what I believe, is based on what makes me feel good. Essentially, it's making God into our own image. We just kind of say. Um, we're shaped and cultivated by what's popular in the culture and in the moment of time that we live in. Instead of letting the scriptures and the Holy Spirit set your agenda for what you believe, you will search the scriptures to find what you already believe rather than to be shaped by the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. You come to the, the scriptures with, uh, and the Spirit with preconceived notions of what is right and good and true. But when we are shaped by God, faithfulness is required to believe and take action even when it is opposed to the world. This is what Paul is doing here in Acts and what the Israelites are doing as foreigners in Babylon. They're declaring, I know that it's not popular to declare that Jesus is Lord. I know that, that there's no framework for the Messiah to raise from the dead, but this is what happened. This is what I encountered. And no matter what it costs me, I'm going to... Uh, fight for the gospel. I'm going to give up my life for this new covenant where the Gentiles can welcome, be welcomed in. And maybe those things that you hold that you don't really want to, just because that they are true and you trust God, um, you're willing to not just believe them in your mind, but you're willing to say them. You're willing to hold them. You're willing to live them out. And it shows that you really trust God. Now it may seem like a strange question, but I think it illustrates whether or not we are just kind of molding Jesus into our own image, or whether we are submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ, because he is truth, because he is life, regardless of the consequences. So this may feel like a little bit of an intense sermon. Um, And I feel like when you're talking about faithfulness, because it's such a important topic in, in the Bible. And there's just so many examples that it, it sort of is a little bit of a, um, intense topic. And I, I think that it's hard to give a sermon on faithfulness because everyone really thinks that they're faithful. Everyone thinks that they're, they're, they're living a faithful life, that their faith will not fall away, that they their convictions and their allegiance to Jesus can stand the test. So maybe that question of, of are we holding to things that are uncomfortable or hard or difficult or we don't even really want to shows that we are aligning ourselves to Jesus regardless of whether those things are popular or good or true. Well, I, I think you could also ask the question, am I being a bit dramatic? Like these are like really intense. Like we said, I don't think any of us feel like we're uh, you know, going to experience death or imprisonment. Or fiery furnace? Are we getting too intense about um, faithfulness? But I think, if we don't take faithfulness seriously, if we don't take these questions seriously, if we don't look at these stories and it doesn't like bring up something in our hearts, then we kind of trivialize, trivialize the sacrifice that Paul and so many other Christians have made. Paul gave his life for the reality of the New covenant for the Gentiles and the good news of Jesus for all people. And this is the thing, even if it is intense, even if this is something that we can't just stay lukewarm anymore, that we're called to this faithfulness because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, faithfulness is worth it. The scripture passage in verse 24, Paul says that, uh, you know, something pretty incredible in verse 24 says, however, I consider my life not worth nothing to me. Listen to that, worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul uses this image of race a lot in in, in his letters and his idea of you're, you're essentially running this race to receive the crown from God. And so when we are faithful, the reason that is, it is worth it is that we are going to receive more and more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we're going to experience the new heavens and the new earth, and that this is, our, our, like the reality is that, that um, Jesus' death and resurrection is true, and so we're aligned with the God of the universe in that way, but also, even if you need to be incentivized even a bit more, is that when you finish this race, when you're faithful to the end, you receive the crown. I ran a couple marathons in my life um, and I can't really run anymore because my knees all messed up, but I I loved it. I loved running these marathons, loved training for them. And the marathon's really funny because the day that you get there, the first 15 miles are the most incredible uh, time of your life. You have thousands and thousands and thousands of people cheering you on. Shouting your, your name, saying like you're doing, you know, you're doing great. And you're just filled with energy. You're running faster than you ever thought you could run. You feel so good. All that training comes in and, and you feel great. And then mile 15 hits. And every single mile after that just seems to get harder and harder. Your body begins to break down. You get dehydrated. Your back hurts, your lower back hurts. Your Achilles start to hurt. Your hamstring might feel, uh, you know, tight. And you're just, you start thinking to yourself, like, why on earth did I do this? This was so ridiculous. This is this is the dumbest idea. And, I, and like, you start thinking about the people from like Team World Vision that you're friends with. And you're like, this is their fault. Like, they made me do this. And all this stuff kind of comes in and it's so dramatic. And I remember at one point in like mile 21, at one point running on my first marathon, there's this police officer on the side and she's trying to cheer me on. She's like, no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain. And I was like, that is so ridiculous. You're standing there, not doing anything, telling me no pain, no gain. And it's brutal. Like the last, like you just like, you just want to quit. You just want to stop. This is so dumb. What is the point? But there is a point, because when you get to that last stretch, and you cross that finish line, this sense of accomplishment, this sense of joy that you did something really incredible, this overwhelms you. And I can just imagine, like, as we think about this faithfulness and living our life faithful to Jesus Christ, our lives really aren't that long. But standing the test of time for, for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of our lives, and like running this race for Jesus Christ and what it will be like someday to cross that finish line and to see Jesus in all of his glory standing there in the throne room of God and for God to say, well done, you have been faithful with what I've asked you to do. Could there be a possible better situation, a better um, thing to think about happening in your life? So I want to encourage you, Missio Day Chicago, I want to encourage you to pursue Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be faithful, to not give in, to not give up. Would we be people who mean what we say and say what we mean and be Christians that are faithful 100%. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.